And that's recording. Welcome to episode 25, 25, quarter away to 100. Is that a milestone? 25? Yeah, sure. All right, excellent. Welcome to episode 25 of Auto Off Topic. I'm Brad. And I'm your other host, Andrew. Welcome, welcome, Andrew. Well, spring is finally here. Had all the nice cars out. We do. All the ones that run. Yep. The weather is nice and warm. There's no more salt. Is the weather nice and warm? Well, it's been warm, and now it's like in the 50s, but we're not. We're just like, screw it. It's been warm. We're not going back. Like, right. I will walk out of the house now without a jacket. We are dedicated. Yep. I did, however, bring a jacket with me when I left the house today. I just threw it in the back seat because in case it gets cold tonight. I, yeah. So I'm prepared. The other day I got out of work and walked to the truck because it was warm during the day, and then I was like, oh, it's cold. I put put my jacket on when I got to the truck. Right. But Anyway, doesn't matter. It's spring. We're going with it. I actually drove the 78 Colt here tonight, so yep. despite the fact that it's a little chilly and raining. Who cares? It's not going to snow. No snow, no salt. Life is good. Cars running awesome. So Good, because it's... Um, well, let's do... Before we get into that. So from last week, right, we were talking about Ringlands. Apparently, we were talking about... We were talking about piston failure and oil yeah. consumption, and apparently... In the Subaru world, Ringland, they use as a term to describe the part of the piston, uh, in which it's the metal uh, that is between the grooves of the piston ring grooves. Call them lands. Basically a seat. A seat. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've never really heard it called that. I've always just called them piston ring grooves. And I, you have your upper and lower part of the groove. I'm wondering... Is it possible that Ringland is like a regional thing? Because we've we've looked back into some books, you know, some automotive theory books and automotive mechanic books, and a lot of them don't call it a Ringland. No. And then we, I think, I think a friend of ours found one today that did call it a Ringland, but you don't see it very often. So you know how, like in England, the hood of a car is a bonnet versus where here it's a hood. Uh, is it like a regional thing they call them Ringlands? Maybe. And maybe but- the internet has kind of exposed that more maybe but the book at least in the ninth edition of the bosch automotive handbook which is a english translation of a german book they don't call them that they just say ring grooves right which again could be because because it's a regional thing and you got a translation there so who knows yeah i don't know but apparently that was something yeah i'm not not saying we weren't wrong because apparently we were wrong i didn't well we weren't wrong we just never heard it before yeah we kind of dismissed it uh, interestingly, though, I learned a little bit of history about piston rings. In early steam engines, before the piston ring was invented, they would pack the piston with hemp to seal the uh, gases in. So it still had grooves. Yeah. But they would just pack it with hemp. Yeah. I mean, because it was holding in steam. It wasn't right. a, a flaming combustion. So. Correct. But that still must have been a wearable item, more so than a, a metal piston ring. Yeah. I mean, because it's hemp. It, yeah. Even steam is going to make it go away eventually. Yeah. But, I mean, I so much more simpler, so I don't know. But it is what it is. So, anyway. Yeah, we learned a new thing, which is what we're all about, learning new things about cars. Yep. And we like to call out corrections when we have them, so. Admitting that we're wrong more often than we're right. No, yeah, we're right a lot. Yeah, I'm just being, you know, self-deprecating here. Okay. I get it. I missed it, but I get it. Correction. Andrew didn't get that sarcasm, yes. but now he gets it now. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, project car updates. Did you have anything going on? I haven't done much this week. Just driving the car. I have honestly, since the last podcast, I think this might be the first day it came out. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to drive it. I took, um, this past weekend was Easter. Yeah. So it was a little busy with family stuff. And it was really nice last Friday. So rather than do car things, I took the family up camping for the first weekend this year. Oh. So we've never gone camping in April before. In fact, there was still snow on the ground. But it was really nice to get away. Did you pick up the Sporo? Okay, so I guess there is a project car update. Um, I've never admitted this freely on the air, but the Sapporo broke last year. Yeah. I think I've talked about that. What I didn't talk about is where it broke. It broke in Maine. Yes. Um, my brother-in-law owns a plot of land, I guess you could call it. We don't have to say where it is. It's just in Maine. Yeah, just on the side, on the side of the Saco River, which is a huge river, so I won't say exactly where it is. Yeah. In Maine. Yeah. Um, and the car broke down up there last year, yeah. and the entire plan was to get it back here before the salt hit. Well, that never happened because I didn't have the enclosed trailer yet nope. when it happened. So that didn't happen, and when I got the enclosed trailer, I went up there to get the car, but there was so much snow that I couldn't even get into the property because there was like 27 inches of snow had fallen the day before because Maine. Yep. So the car, unfortunately, sat outside all winter for the first time uh, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't slept much all winter thinking about that car being covered in snow and in the woods. Um, so I finally went up there, and I did get, when I did take the family camping, I did bring my trailer with me. Yep. So putting the car in the trailer was a project and a half. So you did get in the trailer because I asked you, and then you kind of... No. Oh, okay. I did not get it in the trailer. That's where the project that I have comes into play. Okay. So it needs new tires anyway. Last year was the last year for those tires. Yep. Because they they were on the car when I got it. I don't really like the wheels that are on it anyway, and they're pretty bald. So one tire was flat. Right. The reason the car is broke down is a transmission seal let go. So it's pissing transmission fluid out of the front uh, input shaft in the transmission. So, tire was flat. I got the car turned around to put in the trailer, and I got it stuck because it's on grass. In snow. And, and no, no snow, just grass where it was. On ball tires, huh? On ball tires in muddy, wet grass. And the car is pretty low, and it's an uneven surface. Mm-hmm. So, it just kind of got high centered. Yep. The flat tire came off the bead. Oh, okay. And then there was no traction. Okay. Because I was just spinning the open diff with one wheel on the ground. It's. Four and one fourteen, right? It is. So, do you want to borrow? No, no. I have I have a wheel and tire ready to bring up there. It's all. Cool. But you can borrow the Galant VR four wheels. They have snow tires on them. I don't need snow tires. It's not in snow. But you, they work good in mud, though. Or it's it, the tire is fine. Okay. Um. Then, in trying to get it unstuck, the broken transmission decided to stop transferring power to the rear wheels. Okay. So now it was sitting there with the debeated tire in the mud. And it was just me and the wife and daughter. Okay. And I didn't have a lot of extra hands to help. Okay. So I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to push it into the trailer. Yep. And I'll have the aid of the ratchet straps, and I come along to do it with. Okay. That didn't work. Okay. Because the car was so low and sunk into the dirt, which wasn't sunk into the dirt all winter, so that's good, so it didn't rust away. The car was in perfect shape. You would never know it sat outside all winter. I got more than happy with how the car looks, so that's good. Um, however, 
I was trying to back it into the trailer, yep. and the exhaust was catching on the ramp door. Oh, because it's so low. Because it was too low. It's a pretty low ramp door, too. It is. It's right, at the, it's right at the pavement, basically. But the exhaust is on the flat tire side. Oh, uh, okay. So it dug into the ground. It caught the ramp door. It bent the exhaust down. It was a whole nightmare. So I said, I'm going to stop before I do more damage. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get a tire and wheel and a jack, and I'll do this properly. Okay. So, so I'll have to go with you. I could probably do it myself if I had a tire and wheel to do it right. It's just... But yeah, it'll help. And I need some more transmission fluid so I can put transmission fluid in the transmission so actually I can drive it into the truck. Yes. But whatever. So yes, it is still sitting there. I don't remember even how that came up to topic now, but I guess that is my project car down date. I now have flat tires and broken exhaust on the Sapporo and I'm a horrible <laughs> person. But the good news is the car was in excellent shape. Um, no damage happened over the winter, thankfully, because I was super nervous about it because it was the first time I've not left it in a garage. Um it is all set, ready to come home now. I will get it home. The exhaust was kind of hack, like hacked together anyway from when it was in the junkyard in its previous life. So I wanted to fix it and replace it anyway. So, Hey, well, you learned how to weld, and we have a welder, and that's a good welding project is to weld exhaust. Yeah, exactly. It's simple. It's simple low, low impact. Plus, it had a super goofy-looking like little inch-and-a-half turn-down tip on it. So I'm just going to do something... A new muffler, not a loud muffler, but a new muffler with like two little tips on it. So, do two vertical tips? Yeah, like shotgun style. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. yeah, like a vertical, like a two forty Z. Yeah, they call them shotgun, even though they're up and down instead of left side to side. Yeah, I don't that know why they call sense. them shotgun. I'm not thinking about it, but they do call them shotgun tips. Weird. So, but I, that's what I kind of want to do to it. Yeah. So I'll do that, and I'll put I'll buy tires. Some for the DTM watts. tips go straight up. No, Bozuzuku right up like thirty feet in the air. The word Bozozoku and my Sapporo will never be said in the same sentence again. Why not? I just, ugh, no. <laughs> so that's my project car, I guess, down date, kind of update. I apologize to all of my Sapporo-loving friends that I let the car sit outside. But it is fine. It did survive. Everything's good. Okay. So we're okay. Pat myself on the back a little bit that it's okay, but still upset about it. So last week, we thought, or I thought... My fuel pump was dead. Needs fuel pump, bro. I had the connector apart. I finally had a few minutes. Went out with my voltmeter and powered the pump. Okay. Pump's probably dead. But this doesn't make sense to me because this pump is only four years old. It only has 30K in it. Weird. Let me plug it back together. Car fired right up. Strange. Just unplugging it and plugging it back in? Yeah. Okay. So... I've had a similar issue before in the Talon, probably five or six years ago. When the ECU started to fail, the car would randomly shut off while driving and not want to refire, and then would finally refire. It was super annoying for like two days. And it turns out that the even though the capacitors were replaced in the ECU, which is a common issue on these older Mitsubishi ECUs, the caps, they have these capacitor caps that leak acid onto the board and corrode the board. So that one had failed a second time and I switched out had it rebuilt and the car ran fine. So this one I was thinking, Hmm, interesting. I wonder if the ECU was failing because this one had replaced capacitors in it. So I took it out. It didn't have the symptoms of smelling like rotten fish or rotten seafood or whatever that people say they do. But if you looked very closely at the board, it had some corrosion on it. 
like a rusty corrosion or like a white kind of aluminum like a oxidation white kind of look? Crusty corrosion on some of the capacitors and like it's almost like a like a like a maybe a battery in a device too long that kind of acid. Yeah, so I don't know if it just from I get a little bit of moisture in my garage in the wintertime, and then the th- it's sitting on a tender and maybe just having voltage running through it. There's some sort of, I don't know. I don't think the voltage running through it would cause an issue, but I bet that the little dampness in the garage might cause the issue. So regardless, uh, I decided to switch that with a spare DSM ECU that I have from a 91, which are basically they're nearly identical. The idle will be like a little bit different because the mass airflow means are different, believe yeah. it or not. There's a couple of pins that are different, two other No, that's 90 to 91. Oh, okay. So I actually have two spare 1990 ECUs for my 1990 Talon because right. they're so rare. So anyways, I plugged it in. It fired up. It ran okay. I was like, all right, let's take it for some shakedown driving back and forth to work. It's only like four miles each way. It's, you know, low risk. Uh, it's not really driving that well. I'm like, all right, trying to run through my head of all the things that I've had happen before. What's not driving well? Is that a hesitation? Is it a skip? Is it a... You'd you'd get into the throttle and it would, uh, at a certain point, kind of run lean, pull timing, and then fall flat on its face, which is what it's supposed to do if it runs lean. Right. It immediately pulls timing so you don't blow the engine up. I was like, that's kind of weird. It wasn't doing that before. Now, in the fall... Uh, after the cooling fan failed, at the same time, the wideband O2 sensor, I have an AM Yu-Gi-Oh wideband, started to fail. It's about four years old, which apparently is about the lifespan of them, especially because I have it in the stock location. So I've got a second-gen O2 housing off the turbo. It actually puts the O2 sensor a little bit further down, but it's still pretty close to the turbo in the heat, which they don't really recommend, but... I didn't want to weld in an extra bung. I just wanted to use it in that spot. And I have it set up with the narrowband output so that it outputs to the ECU. <clears throat> and then what I do is, um, so it, you know, I was used to the last four years watching it on the wideband sensor. It sort of cycles at idle between like 14 and 15, which is what it's supposed to do when it's an open loop. And then when you get on the throttle, go to like, like 10.9, maybe it's a little warmer outside, it goes to like 11.1, which is pretty good. That's right about where you want it at 15 pounds of boost. It's not too lean. And when you would let off the throttle and like kind of coast, you would go to like 19, which is lean because your throttle's closed and you're just kind of coasting. This one was reading a little bit different. It would go to like 16 or 17 and then kind of do that at idle too sometimes. That's weird. And then just kind of go totally lean at idle which seemed kind of weird. So I was like, hmm, that's odd. So what I did when I replaced that O2 sensor is I purchased one that the internet told me was a cheaper replacement equivalent to the AEM Bosch one. So it came out of a Bosch box, but it was not the AEM approved replacement one. Which we assume was the same thing, kind of. I mean, they're both Bosch. Well, yeah, and I... Try in doing research on the internet, different forms. This is the one that people recommended, so I thought, well, that's worth a shot because it was like forty bucks less than the hundred dollar AM one. And some people were like, no, you can't use that because the AM has like a, 
it's calibrated by AEM or whatever. It's got some sort of resistor in it. It's for their sensor. And I was like, yeah, I'll show them. Right. I'll spend less. So I think that's an issue there. And in trying to save 40 bucks, I ended up just spending another $100 this week to buy the correct one. So you've technically spent $60 more. Yes. Although it may have been time to replace it anyway, because it was, again, like you said, it's four years old, so who knows? Well, the original one, yes. But right now the car has the replacement one that is not the correct AEM one. Oh, so you put it in it now? Yes. Oh, okay. So now I have the correct AEM part number. It's actually this one over here. And that is going to go in this week, and I'll try it out. Because the car ran really well with that setup, the correct one. Okay. Okay, so originally you bought the correct one. The replacement one you bought was the cheap one. Well, the original one came together with the, with AM, the AM gauge. gauge. Okay. It's brand new. They sell, obviously, the O2 sensor separate, because when they do go bad, you can just replace the O2 sensor. Right. And it is just basically a Bosch wideband sensor. It's a six wire sensor or five wire, whatever it is. Uh, they use them in a lot of different cars. So this one is probably just the calibration is just a little bit off and you can't really, I don't think the AM really allows for some wide bands. You have to calibrate the AM one is supposed to be pre-calibrated. You're not supposed to have to do anything to it. Okay. So I'm going to change that. And then I was thinking, I was like, Hmm, you know what? I've had issues with this one vacuum line that pops off solenoid and then the car will idle weird so i was like oh, pop the hood and i look now the side that popped off that i zip tied did not pop off the opposite side that feeds into the solenoid had popped off which solenoid is that yeah uh, i think it's for like a boost control solenoid okay so that would make a difference in the car running for sure if yeah. it's making you know whether it's too much or not enough boost it's going to run the addition timing different and everything's going to be different in the car well i have a vacuum leak yeah so I plugged that in. Immediately, it idled and drove slightly better. I was like, all right, cool. That's problem one. So what I also ordered was, you know, I was like, you know what? I want to get rid of all these rubber vacuum hoses. So I bought some nice uh, silicone vacuum hose from HPS. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to replace all those with vacuum. With this, I'm going to replace all the rubber ones with silicone ones when that comes in. I'm also going to buy brass vacuum tees to eliminate those stupid plastic ones because I've had those crack and yeah, fail those, before. Those break and heat cycles and everything too. Yeah. So. so that's going to be another improvement that I'm going to do once I make sure it's running all right. I don't want to change too many things at once. No, a little at a time. Yeah. Plus we want to make, we try, you're trying to build the world's most reliable Galant VR4 yeah. here, I think. So anyway, I figured that out. I'm going to fix the O2 sensor. And then I noticed that, uh, one of the last times I really used the car was at an autocross last September. And, you know, autocross, you're like first gear, full throttle, second gear. There was a couple times during the autocross, the car would seemingly pull timing. Probably because it was running out of fuel or overboosting. But it so, happened so fast, and I'm not running any data logging. You know, I'm looking at the cone course. I'm not looking at the gauges. I couldn't tell why or when it was happening. Exactly when, exactly, yeah. So... Driving the other night, I did it. I rolled into throttle, and then I like it started to boost. It started to cut, so I came off the throttle, and it continued to build boost for like a second. So it's like, hmm. So the wastegate's sticky. So I think the wastegate might be sticky, so we're gonna have to take a little hand pump, pump it up. It's like eight or ten psi, 
and just make sure that it's freely moving because that you can see it. I did replace that when I put the car back together, but you can see it has some corrosion on it because I do drive the car in like rainy weather and it gets hot down there. It gets heat cycled. And it's in that damn basement. Yeah. So I, it, it might be sticking. So I believe I have a spare one kicking around in my parts. I think I did too. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll check it out. Uh, but I'm going to do, like I said, I'm going to do the O2, O2 sensor first. And then that. And then that. So we'll make well, sure. Can you just grease the external parts on the car too? Just oil them up, make them move more freely? Maybe, but we can put a little vacuum pump on it to just watch it move. Yeah. And, and then grease it anyway if it does move because you might as well. Yeah, there's not much to grease because it's basically a diaphragm and a spring. It has a little arm in it though, does it not? The arm is on the turbo. That doesn't really no. seize up. Okay. So anyway, that's that's where I am with that car. I'm just trying to get it back to the way it was running last summer and when you parked it, basically. all the summers before. <laughs> yeah, it's been running really well. Well, after I did the O2 sensor, it ran, it ran kind of weird, so I wasn't too happy with it. And I said, oh, I'll figure it out in the spring. Okay, so you put that original cheap O2 sensor in last fall. Yep. And you hadn't really figured it out since then. No, because I didn't drive it much after com- that combination issue. Yeah. And also, I realized, you know, it's been 30,000 miles since I've done... I put spark plugs in it when I built the engine, but it's been 30,000 miles. Yeah, those are just copper plugs. They're just copper NGKs. I'll change those, too. But that, again, will be after I do the other two things. Which is funny, because with copper plugs, I've always been, like, in every other or every third oil change with NGK copper plugs, just because they're, like, a dollar. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, the cars were running so good, I I didn't even think about it. But now it's got 30,000 miles on it, I'll just change them. Because yeah. it's super easy on that, you know, they're right on top. Yeah, they're right on top. Uh, other thing, I did buy an external oil pressure test gauge to test the 99 Montero because we there's an old, uh, I guess, if you hook up a pressure gauge, you should be able, an accurate enough one, you should be able to see the pressure fluctuate if you've got rod knock. So we're not sure still. It's tough to tell if it's up top or if it's down inside the block, but I think it's down inside the block now. You don't think it's on top anymore? No, I don't think it's on top anymore. Now, is that your opinion or is that you're convinced by somebody else's opinion? No, that's my opinion. Okay. Because when I was standing next to you and we had it running the other day, you had the little, you know, Dr. Dr. Carr stethoscope on it there. Yeah. Um, And we both were pretty convinced it was in the back of the left bank, uh, the right bank. Yeah, but it just, it's so metallic. It just echoes right through it. And I... Hmm. Just reading the double checking on the factory service manual, even that says that the uh, lifter tick, if it doesn't increase with engine RPM, it's not bad lifters. Except it does increase the engine RPM. No, it goes a lifter or uh, the knock, knock. The knock starts to go away as you bring the RPMs up. It raises the oil pressure. That could also be a lifter, though, because if the lifter is collapsing and it's not building full pressure. So it needs more rev to build. If it's sticking, it needs more pressure to expand versus collapse. I don't know. It, it, it just it just sounds to me, it doesn't sound to to me. It sounds like a slower wrapping. Okay, that's more like the crankshaft instead of the cams, which spin faster. Yep. That's why we're going to put the oil pressure gauge on it and just see what's going on. Yeah, just see if you can figure. Because the oil pressure gauge in the truck is not reading at idle. Right. Which is strange, too. Yeah. It does read when you're... You give it throttle, it comes up. 
So maybe it is too low. Hmm. Yeah. So before I start tearing into it, purchasing parts I don't need, I figured a $30 oil pressure gauge yeah, it seems worth was it worth doing it. Yeah. Like, let's, let's try that first. Plus you're learning a new like diagnostic skill too. So that's kind of, yeah, exactly. I was like, let's, let's do it that way. Yeah. Well, when, let me know when that comes in. I want to, I want to be there for that. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to do a video with it. So, cause hopefully soon do some more video stuff. We've been talking about it. It's in the cards. It's in, it's the, in the cards. It's just timing, timing, yep. timing, timing. So we're working on that. The other thing too, uh, we should remind everyone that you're going to be at imports at Carlisle. With a booth? Hopefully. Hopefully? Yep. Oh, I thought you booked that. Oh, I did, but, you know, still ironing out the details and everything. Okay. All right. Well, I mean... Yes, I will be there. So, yes, I shouldn't say hopefully. I'm was planned for the best. Everything yeah. goes smoothly and perfectly, then yes. You should be there, because... I should be. It's a couple months away, a month away, a couple weeks if away. If anything, you're just going there with your tra- truck and trailer. Well, here's the new thing. Yeah. Um, we maybe bring a car in the trailer. Yeah, and that car might be an escort. Okay, so that would be super, like, you know, attention getting having a Mark II escort rally car in our booth as well. Okay, so that may be happening too. I'm just figuring out a lot of details right now, so I'm not. I, I shouldn't say I'm not going because I'm probably. It's like ninety nine point nine percent sure that I'll be there. No, but so. you should definitely. We should put it out there. We're going to be there. We're going to be there, yeah. Because the other thing, yes, and I'm going to be there, too. I'm going to try my darndest to get there. Uh, that's why I'm make sure the glot is running correctly, because I will probably come down Friday night. Okay. And uh, if that car is running correctly, which it will be, yep. I will get my butt down there and hang out all day Saturday and Sunday. And then my other thing was hopefully, I was planning, if there's any listeners that are going to be there, um... Or any anybody important that we know, if they yeah. want to be, we were thinking about doing a couple episodes episodes there with guests with guests, yep, because that would be kind of cool. Yeah, uh, very cool. We'll bring the you know the stuff's pretty portable. At least the just the recorder is, and yeah, the whole thing is. It's, even if we just use the recorder with the mics that are on it, you just set up at the back of my trailer. Yeah, exactly. Weather and exactly, and uh, that would be pretty fun. So. That's something that we're trying to plan on, and if you're going to be there, definitely come see us and talk to us, and and uh, hopefully check out a sweet escort. Yeah, well, the escort will definitely be there in the trailer. Okay. That, that's that's essentially the plan, is we're bringing it down there. It's going to, A, call attention to the company, because yep. it's cool, and B, call attention to the fact that Al now can help with the importing of cars from Europe. Okay. Because that is going to be our new bread and butter, I think, is okay. the plan. So. Okay. But it will be cool. And that car is super rad because it's a legitimate. Is it the Mark, red or the white one? It's the white Mark II yes. RS2000. Yes. An actual RS2000. Yes. It's not a clone. And it's full, yes. you know, cage. We will work with Twin Weber. Al on a, a video of that and a photo shoot. We'll yes. do some stuff. hundred. Now that it's warm out, we're, we're going to start working on that stuff. His, red, his red Mark One is done too now. Yes. So. I saw a picture of that earlier. Beautiful picture of that from the guys at So anyway. I think, do you have anything else to cover before we get into the topic? Uh, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much it for now. Okay. Well, this this topic was your pick, so I'll let you lead. Because uh, you wanted to talk badge engineering? I did, actually. I was driving to work um, Monday or Tuesday morning. Yep. And I was listening, because I'm an old man, to uh, NPR. Yep. And they're having a discussion about uh, Sears and Roebuck. Yes. 
It's um, going out. Of, well, they're not going out of business. They're closing try, a lot of stores. They're closing a lot of stores. They're restructuring. They they're sold trying, off craftsmen. They sold craftsmen. They're trying to save face. They're trying to be relevant in today's Amazon, eBay, Walmart world, um, which they're really not right yeah, now. Because apparently Walmart is Amazon's biggest competitor right now. Yeah. And Sears is just kind of there. Yeah. Now, I've always liked Sears because they have everything. And if you want to buy something, um, you know, again, here's the old man in me. I want to, like, go out and look at it and touch it and feel it and know what it is well, exactly. the big thing is tools. Like, that was the place to get high-quality hobby-level Yeah, hobby-grade mechanics tools. mechanics tools, exactly. Which you know, they've gone down, too, because they sold it off. And now they're, you know, trying to... But, but they did sell... Gear wrench brand, which is pretty good actually. Yeah, no, I like, I gear, like gear wrench brand. Again, I wouldn't probably rely on them as a mechanic, but as a hobbyist, they're awesome. Yeah, if you're using them on the weekends, they're fine. Yeah, hundred percent. But anyway, so they were talking about Sears and Roebuck and the history of Sears and you know where it stands in today's world and everything they used to sell because it used to be you could get a catalog for Sears and buy a house. They had like kit houses that they sold. Yeah, there was a, this old house where they covered it. It was pretty cool. Okay. But one thing they also used to sell... Well, say, oh, hold on. That's that's Andrew proving his old man status by saying that he watches this old house. Oops. I've watched this old house since I was a little kid, though. Yeah, I have to with my grandfather. But anyway, um, Sears used to sell a car. That was Andrew popping a beer off of the plastic six-pack holder. Um, they used to sell a car. And that car was not their own car. It was a Henry J., which I was like, what is a Henry J? Yeah, well, you know, 1950s American cars. Oh, here's old man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they rebranded it and sold it with minimal changes as an Allstate. So that was the Sears Allstate. You could literally pick up the Sears catalog. Allstate. Yeah. You could pick up the Sears catalog and buy yourself a house, a washer, a dryer, a bed, a pair of shoes, Apparently, and a car, all in one fell, one fell swoop of an order. You could purchase the American dream. Pretty much, that's Sears sold the American dream from beginning to end. And the Henry J is actually a cool little car, and we've been talking a lot lately about gassers and, like, period-correct 50s and 60s race cars. Uh, oh, and yeah. a lot of Henry J's, and, you know, consequently all states, were built into, um, like, altered wheelbase, gasser-style funny cars. Now I picture what they are, yeah. Yeah, a little fastback. It was like a, yep. you know... Two-thirds scale 49 Chevy Fastback. It's the 50s equivalent of taking the Colt and putting a Hemi in it, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Because it was a, a smaller car. It was. It, it looked, if you took it away from everything else, it looked like, you know, a Fastback Chevy Fleet Line or 50 Olds or something. But when you parked it next to one, it was significantly smaller. It was like the smallest car you could buy. And then fit. Uh, it wasn't the smallest you could buy, but it was it was the, it was the easiest it was the easiest one to turn into a race car. Put it, it that way. It probably met like minimum wheelbase or something. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the exact thing is, but anyway, it got me thinking about badge engineering and how common it is. Yeah, and how a lot of people don't even notice it because nope. of marketing. That's right. Um, so I started thinking more and more and more about when the earliest badge engineered car was. And could, before I researched it, what, what what could you come up with yourself? Did you could you think of anything on your own thinking? What was the earliest badge engineered car? Not really. The only stuff I could think of was the GM stuff from like the you know late fifties and sixties. That's not badge engineering, though. Well, that's that's platform sharing. Okay, platform sharing is not badge engineering. Okay, see, I didn't make the distinction. Yeah, well, platform sharing is when you have a common. 
chassis, and but everything on top of that chassis is different. Okay, so that, yep. right, when, when you had a Chevy and a Pontiac, there wasn't there were no components. I mean, there was maybe some minor little suspension components and maybe some steering parts and and you know radio parts that might have been shared, but engines and all sheet metal and all the glass and all the interiors were specific from car to car. There was yep. no shared parts as a general rule and that's platform sharing that's not badge engineering so i was thinking back and the earliest things i could think of for badge engineering in my head was in the 50s i couldn't think of it anything before the 50s for badge engineering um excuse me the 40s i should say because like the 40 ford 40 mercury were essentially the same car okay um because that was you know trim level differences so i looked it up the first true instance of badge engineering was 1926. Okay. Um, and I learned something because that's a car that I'd never even heard of before. Um, a car brand by the name of Ajax, like the soap. American Car Company? Yeah, there were a lot. There were tons of American there car were companies. Pre- Turn of the century, pre-war. They were Pre-World War pre- One. Yeah, up. even pre-World War II, there were still a bunch yeah. more. Um, but anyway, so the car was in, called the Ajax. And Nash, who was around a lot longer after that, you know, the Nash Metropolitan in the 50s and yep. you know, the bathtub Nashes of the 40s, um, they bought out the Ajax Corporation and sold the cars as Nashes. Now, they'd already built 22,000 of them Okay, when they did it. And the man who ran Nash said, well, we're going to sell these now as Nashes. So we're just going to change the grill shell and change the hubcaps and change the emblems on all the cars. So they stopped production. For two days, and they had the they had the car builders go up and down the assembly line and up and down the storage lots with all the cars and change all the badges, all the hubcaps, and all the grill shells. Because he's like, "Well, I want this to be our car. We bought it. We're putting the money in it. We don't want these cars to be sold as Ajax anymore. We want to call them as the Nash Light Six, okay, a smaller car." And then the other cool thing they did was they sent a kit out to every Ajax owner to turn your own car into a Nash. Oh. To, so they have like an orphan car, right? So, but the theory was that when it came time for resale, that you would have yeah. a car that still exists and it would be worth more. Okay, yep. So the guy who ran Nash, I think his name was Henry Nash, actually, um, which I could be wrong on. Which again, putting ourselves in for a, a, a fixing of next week, um, was so you know into his company that he wanted anything sold in his name or similarly sold in his name to be brand identified. And that was the earliest actual badge engineering I could find. So, um, again, if somebody knows of an earlier one, I dug a little deeper and I couldn't find anything else. And then I'd actu- love to hear about it. It actually took me to, to a Wikipedia entry, which I know is not, you know, um, uh, I guess a perfect source of information, but yep. that even to the same thing that the Nash was the first. There was one before it, they said was kind of like a, because the car was built somewhere and then it was coach built bodies and i don't really consider that the same no i think that the nash no. really is the the first the first of it so i think when you're when they're literally changing badges that's, that's literally badge engineering that is yeah, badge engineering. changing badges grill shells and hubcaps yep so i think it's really cool i had never heard of the ajax and i'm sure a lot of that probably has to do with nash's efforts to change all the existing ajaxes into nashes <laughs> so i wonder if, if they were worth anything today if you had the original ajax stuff 
Nothing from the 20s is worth anything today because nobody that cares about that's it is true. alive anymore, unfortunately. So that's one of the reasons that, you know, one of us someday should own a ridiculous 20s or 30s car because they're going down in value all the time. Yeah. But anyway, so as you pointed out yesterday, you know, when you were talking about it with me, when we were kind of prepping for the show, yeah. that, you know, a Chevy small block and a Pontiac small block used to be different things. They were. Um, but because that wasn't true bad engineering, that was just platform sharing. Okay. So you had a common chassis, and then you had a bunch of parts that are individualized from car to car going on top of it. Yes. So that had a lot to do with marketing, too. It's a lot to do with marketing. You know, Pontiac had, you know, in the 60s and 50s, they had well, you know, Pontiac wide track. I think it was it basically, <laughs> which way did it go? So it was basically Chevy was your entry level. Yep. Then you might go up to a Pontiac. And a Buick. Buick, Oldsmobile. You know, I think... Buick and Oldsmobile on the same level? I'm not even sure anymore. They, it's, it's, it's gotten so muddy over the years that I forget the way it used to be, the way it was supposed to be in the yeah. first place. Because GM was formed in 1923 by all the existing companies putting together. Yeah. And that's when they kept all those companies by doing a lot of uh, platform sharing and turning all the cars into the same, you know, same basic platform and then mm-hmm. building their own specific car on top of it. You know, they turned GMC and Chevy and they made some GMC trucks well, and Chevy trucks. And GMC was so you could have a, you could sell like light trucks at a G, like a GM truck dealer, I think. Yeah. And then even today they're, you know, they're, um, sales slogan is professional grade. Yeah, they're, so kind of, they're kind of lost in, in, in the world right now because they're yeah. just Chevys with GMC badges. Exactly. Which it, is true badge engineering now. There's yep. no difference. Uh, most of the sheet metal is exactly All the same. All the time I forget whether you have a GMC or a Chevy pickup truck. Uh, my truck is a Chevy. Yes. Which is unfortunate because the GMC grill is so much prettier. You can just go change it. Go to the junkyard and get one. No, I need the fenders, hood, grill, headlights. It's a bit much. But. Well, it's a little more than badge engineering then, no? No, that's still yeah. badge engineering <laughs> because the, the basic platform yeah. and the basic shell of the truck is still the same. Yeah. So I think badge engineering is cool. Um, it's helped the companies have cars in markets where they wouldn't normally have a car as well. Yes. So think about um, in the 90s. Yep. You know, the SUV was becoming huge. Yeah. You know, Honda was selling tons of cars in this country, and Honda didn't have an SUV. So what do they do? They talk to Isuzu. And Isuzu was like, well, we need a minivan. <laughs> so the Honda Odyssey minivan was sold as an Isuzu minivan, and the Isuzu uh, Rodeo was sold as a Honda Passport. So that was able to get Honda some SUV sales before they develop their own pilot later on. Yes. So that's kind of the, uh, kind of cool how it, you know, it, it, it's a brand like a Zuzu who doesn't sell many vehicles. Yes. And they sold a ton of Hondas badged as a Zuzu, a, a ton of cars badged as Hondas. So it helps their bottom line and it helps Honda by getting them in a market segment that they weren't prepared for. But a Zuzu partnered with a bunch of people, right? I mean, they partnered with GM. That's kind of the case with a lot of the lower-end car makers. Um, so what did Isuzu have that was GM? The Sprint? They had the Chevy Sprint. Was it was an Isuzu? Was it no, a, that, was a, that was a Suzuki. Oh, okay. All right. We'll um, get there. That was a Cultus, I think. All right. We'll get there. Um, well, what but is they it? had the Isuzu Ombre. Yep. was a Chevy S10. Oh, so that went the other way. Yep. The Isuzu Ascender. That was a, that was a GM product that was badged as an Isuzu. It, but before that, yeah. Uh, now we're getting all a little mixed up here. Chevy wanted a small truck in the seventies, okay, and they didn't 
they, to compete with the Toyotas that, and Nissans that were or the me, Datsuns that were coming out. So they sold the Chevy Love, um, LUV, yep. which was light utility vehicle, Okay, which was just a badge-engineered Isuzu Pup. Okay. Which was P apostrophe UP as pickup, but it was pop. Okay, so pop let's, Chevy Love. let's set the stage here. So this is the early uh, 70s or mid-70s with gas crunch. Yep. So U.S. Mark, U.S. makers didn't have a lot of small cars. No small cars. <laughs> and they were getting their asses kicked by small car companies like Toyota, Honda. They weren't getting their asses kicked per se yet, well, but the tides, gas were, crunch. The tides yeah. were turning. Yes. We'll put it that way. So forward thinking, they were looking at... And they partnered with these smaller off-brand Japanese companies that didn't have a foothold in the American market. Exactly. So they didn't go to Honda and be like, hey, listen, we want to sell, you know, Honda's badge of Chevys. They went to a Zuzu. Yes. Or in our case of our favorite vehicles on this show. Yes. The Mitsubishis. Yes. Um, I'm not a Dodge person by any means, but I've become a Dodge person by being a Mitsubishi person because if it wasn't for Dodge... None of these Mitsubishis that I love so much would have nope. ever been in this country. Nope. So all of my old Dodge Colts are all Mitsubishis. Yes. So while Chevy, or sorry, GM and Ford had small cars in the 70s. Yes. Um, they had the Pinto, Ford had the Pinto, Chevy had the Vega and the Chevette. Uh, and they weren't great, but they were trying at least. Yes. Dodge didn't really have anything. <laughs> So they kind of got caught out on it. You know, they were the, you know, the company that built Hemis. Right. <laughs> and they didn't have a small little car to sell. So they said the same thing that Chevy did with Azusa for the pickup truck. They went to Mitsubishi and said, hey, we want to sell small cars. You guys want to get a foothold yeah. in the American market. You guys are kind of known for bombing Pearl Harbor. So your name's not really Yeah, well you known really here. can't sell cars under the Mitsubishi name yet yeah. um, until you get them, you know into the country and proven some other way. Yeah. So that's how we got Dodge Colts. So starting in 1971, they started taking Mitsubishi Galants off the assembly line, putting them on a boat, shipping them to the United States and Canada, and slapping Dodge Colt badges on them. They do them at the port? I, I, don't, I think they were done at the uh, at the factory. I don't think they done okay. at the port because the holes don't line up 100% yeah. in all of them. Um, but I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know for a fact. Um and they were left-hand drive, too, so, I mean, there were there was certain things that were changed for the American yeah. market, obviously. I mean, they made a left-hand drive, you know, gallant for other markets, but these were obviously specific American market cars, catalytic converters and all that stuff. Um, not in 71, but later on. Um, I don't know if I was going with that, but that's okay. So that's badge engineering that has benefited me. <laughs> all right. but So let's go back to the early 70s and GM. So the GM had the Zuzu. Pop, which is the love. Chevy loves Uzu Pop. What else do they have? And there was there any small cars mm. other than the pickup? Buick and Opal. Okay, yeah. Together. They oh, sold yeah. Opals here in the Buick dealerships. But they were sold as Opals. They were still sold as Opals, but they were sold at Buick dealerships. It was never like an Opal dealer network. Interesting. Um, Ford wanted to get on a small pickup game, too. Yeah, what did Ford and have? They had the Ford Courier. Oh, it was a Mazda. Which was a Mazda. Okay. Yep. And so, that... So that Ford Mazda relationship goes back to the seventies as well. They all go back to that same gas crunch time where they mm-hmm. had needed small vehicles and didn't have that much, you know, knowledge of making. Small because vehicles. then you, you see this lineage goes all the way up till today. Uh, a lot of well, yeah, because well, up until a couple of years ago, you could still buy a Mazda B twenty two hundred, and it was a Ford Ranger. It went the other way around; it became Fords instead of Mazdas. Yes, well, a uh, Fiesta, current gen Fiesta, right? Yep. Was also a Mazda 2. 
Yes. Same platform, but yep. you didn't get the cool turbocharged engine. But well, so you could in other countries, I think. Yeah. Did they make a Mazda two that was fancier elsewhere. I don't know. I don't know either. I love Mazda twos. I just never. Yeah. What did um, did Nissan partner with anyone? Different people over the years. When do you want to start? Well, you've got the. Wasn't the what was the minivan? That was a Nissan. The one it was in the a 80s. Nissan Quest, but it was a Mercury. Oh, it was a Mercury Villager. Yes, that was a weird one, which I don't understand because Ford had their own van. That's right, which was the Windstar after the Aerostar. But those were rear wheel drive, right? No, the Aerostars were rear wheel drive. Okay, the Windstars That's were right. front wheel drive. Yeah, they're basically Ford Tauruses underneath. So why Mercury? Was a Nissan? Oh, it was a different product. It was different than the Ford. Totally I don't different. understand because this this is where bad engineering goes off the rails for me. It makes sense for me for Chevy to go to Isuzu and buy the love in 1971. It makes sense for me. They don't for, have to. They don't have to engineer a small truck from the ground up. Right. Somebody already it make, made it. It makes sense for me for Dodge to go to Mitsubishi and say, "Hey, we want your Galant to sell as a Colt." That all makes sense to me. Yeah. What doesn't make sense to me anymore is bad engineering to the point that it became. For example, Ford Taurus Mercury Sable. Yes. So you had, it used to be Ford, entry-level, Mercury, mid-market, Lincoln, high-end. Yep. But now you could go to the Ford dealer and you could buy a loaded Ford Taurus, you know, SEL, and it was nicer than a base model Mercury Sable. So at this point, why did the Mercury Sable need to exist anymore? So they kind of badge-engineered themselves out of existence. I feel like at some point they were banking on brand loyalty for people but there's no brand loyalty when you sell the same car to everybody but some people well i shouldn't say brand maybe badge loyalty some people really liked mercury's some people were fords people are chevy families like i I guess i mean i'm a mitsubishi family i guess now so i see it but at the same time if there was two versions of the same car available and they were identical yeah. Other than a couple of minor trim level changes, I don't see. I'm going to go whichever one gives me the better deal. It's true. It's the same car. It doesn't matter anymore. Like I, I, there was at no point. I've never been a Mercury Sable Ford Taurus buyer. No. But I can't imagine anybody who is a Ford Taurus Mercury Sable buyer going to a dealer and being like, you know, I really like the Taurus option package, but man, that headlight that goes all the way across the front of the Sable is pretty badass. So I need to buy a Sable instead. Like, nobody's going to say that. They're going to be like, well, Ford has the better rate for my payment, and they have the better options package available. I'm going to buy the Ford. You say that, but somebody probably likes the Mercury styling better. (sighs) I don't know. Somewhere. Somebody does. Maybe. But, I mean, going back to it, I do love that front headlight in the Mercury. All right. But it's the only thing about the car I like, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) I, I I just think that badge engineering is good when it gets a company... A car that it needs and a segment that it needs, like Volkswagen. They yes. had the Rutan a few years ago, which that was essentially was a, a Chrysler minivan. Yep. Because Volkswagen didn't have anything in the minivan segment that they could sell in this country. Which is interesting because they weren't. Part- it's interesting because they pretty much in- invented the minivan. Yeah, but they weren't <laughs> even partnered with, uh, like, they weren't like you know like FCA or whatever Daimler Chrysler. They were just maybe that was the connection though with being German. Daimler, I don't know. I don't think there's any connection to that yeah. at all. I think it's just they wanted a minivan, and they may have talked to Chevy, and they may have talked to Ford, and they may have talked to Dodge, and they may have talked to Honda. Who knows? Yeah. And the only one they could strike a deal with was Dodge. 
Yeah. So I, again, I don't know. I'm I'm not that deep in the industry to know exactly how it happens or why these connections happen. But there's been a lot of this over the years. Well, you know, there was the Ford Probe was a Mazda MX-6. Yeah. You know, the uh, Ford Escort was a, a Mazda-based. I don't know. I'm losing the name of the car, but it was like a three two three or yeah. something. Same base so car. Let's. It was basically Ford and Mazda. The big ones everybody knows are Ford and Mazda. Yep. yep. Chevy Isuzu, but they also did Chevy, Suzuki. Chevy Isuzu Suzuki. Yep. But a lot of the GM stuff came out of the late '80s, early '90s, right? Well, I think uh, the line of Geos came out. Yes. They, every Geo is a bad oh, right. Car. They developed their own car, well, their own brand. But there were no, none of their own cars. So you had the Geo Storm, which was an Isuzu Impulse. Okay. You had... Geo Tracker. Geo Tracker was a Suzuki sidekick. Okay. You had the Geo um, Prism. Yeah. It was a Toyota Corolla. Weird. Oh, so GM has Toyota ties, too. That's right. Well, because they do, the, because it's also a Toyota Cavalier that they sold in Japan oh, in the 90s. Right. So there's a lot of... A matrix is the same as a Vibe. A Matrix and a Vibe are the same car. Weird. Yep. But the entire Geo line was other people's cars. Yeah. Just badge engineered. Which, they're not the only ones to do that in that time. Because in Eagle. the late 80s, Eagle did that. Exactly. But Eagle had AMCs. Eagle didn't have AMCs. Chrysler owned AMC. Okay. And AMC built a car called the Eagle. Yeah. So when Chrysler bought AMC and they started Eagle, the Eagle, the AMC branded cars went away. Okay. You couldn't buy an AMC Eagle Eagle or Eagle AMC Eagle. So what they had was the Eagle Medallion. Okay. Which was a Renault. Oh they had the Eagle Vision, which was uh, Intrepid. They had the Eagle Talon, which we all know and love as the Mitsubishi Eclipse. Yeah. So they might have been one or two. Yeah, with Laser Eclipse, whatever. They might have been one or two more Eagles that are just not as important the, anymore. The Intrepid? That's what I said. It was the Eagle Vision. Yeah. It was also the Chrysler LHS. Summit, you said that Eagle Summit, which was the Mitsubishi Expo, Expo. and oh, they had the Eagle. Um, what was the Mirage one? There was an Eagle version of that too. Ooh, 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 ooh! Because they made a four-door version of the it Fastback had, Coupe. It had it wasn't a fat, it wasn't a Fastback though. It had different taillights. Yeah, it had like the Evo taillights. It wasn't an Eagle Colt. It was an Eagle. It was a Dodge Colt, a Mitsubishi Mirage. Mirage. And an eagle. Oh, we're failing at this. That's not good. It wasn't a summit either. Summit was the van. It, yeah, but it was like a Canadian car. It's like super. Well, they sold them here too, though. They're like super rare here. Yeah, because nobody bought eagles in general. They certainly didn't buy the bottom. No, but I, I think it was the point of the eagle brand, as far as I understand, was so that a Jeep dealer could sell cars. It's something other than Jeeps. Yes. Exactly. They're Jeep eagle dealers. Yes. But not every Jeep dealer wanted it either. No, because you ended up with Christ. You ended up with a Chrysler Jeep Eagle dealer, so you ended up with all three. Well, there were some specific Jeep dealers. Yes. I remember Pioneer Jeep and PB. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Right on Washington Street, and they were just a Jeep dealer, and they had no interest in selling Eagle cars. No. So I think even they might have had a deal with PBD Chrysler at the time where they sold the Eagles at PBD Chrysler. I don't think they ever put – oh, you know what? No, that's what happened. They became an independent Jeep dealer when the Eagle came out because they didn't want to be – an Eagle dealer. Weird. So they sold, they serviced Jeeps and sold used Jeeps, yeah. but no new Jeeps anymore. Off top, that's a kick-ass building downtown, but. It used to be. Now it's kind of weird looking. Yeah. Um, I'm still looking up the name of this stupid car because it's bothering me now. So. so Eagle Premier. Yeah. Okay. I am going to be corrected. Okay. 
There was one year where the AMC Eagle was sold as an Eagle. Okay. They sold it as the Eagle Wagon in 88. Weird. So I did not did not know that. Um, the one we should know about that we didn't mention is the Eagle 2000 GTX. Okay. The Canada only. Yes. That's um, what I was thinking of, the yeah, Canadian car. Yeah, that's the Canadian only Galant, same body style, E39A. The s- yeah, the 6th gen. Is your and my VR4, but it has a 4G63 naturally aspirated and it's four-wheel drive. It's a, a Galant GSX, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a... Vista, Eagle Vista. Oh, yeah. That was the Mirage. So weird. Yeah, it's a strange, strange thing. So, yeah. So, again, the badge engineering to allow cars to exist where they would normally exist at a Jeep dealer. Right. Or, in this case, sell cars that nobody wanted in a dealership that nobody went to buy cars at. Yeah. <laughs> But then what's interesting is a few years ago, like for some reason, Dodge trucks are now Ram. That's just a marketing thing. Yeah. That's not, just, that's not any kind of badge engineering. Although there are badges. badge engineered Rams because the Ram Promasters, which are the vans now. Are Mercedes. Nope. They were. Nope. They still make the Sprinter, which is not a Promaster. Okay. Uh, unless the ProMaster is a Sprinter. Now I could be wrong because they're vans. I don't give two craps about them. Yeah. Um, but they have a little Renault van. That's at the little van now is the Ram ProMaster. Renault is all over the place too because if I recall correctly, there is a version of the Mitsubishi iMeve sold as a Renault. Okay. So, I mean, because in, in Japan there's different versions of Renault sold as Mitsubishi's and then I believe uh, Renault sells some of their cars that are rebadged Mitsubishi's. I'm okay. Very the Ram ProMaster is actually yeah. a Fiat. Oh, not even, a Renault. even more awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Get uh, me my American van. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's Italian, dude. Yeah. A Fiat Ducato. Uh, also, a Citroen Jumper, Citroen Relay, Peugeot Boxer, and Ram ProMaster. Yeah. So that's a that's a strange one. But that that's strictly badge engineering because that there's not even a difference in that vehicle other than the badge. Yeah. The grills, the headlights, everything in those is exactly the same. Then I think and they built in Turkey. I believe on the German side of stuff, a Touareg and a Cayenne. That's platform shared. Are they? Yeah. Oh, I thought they were because the Touareg has got Totally different unibody structure, pretty much. The floor pans is pretty much the same. Oh, okay, okay, yep. So that would be platform. Sure. All right. This is very muddy. Like, it's not... Like, I guess an argument could be made with that's bad engineering. But No, I, I think we're going to go with the definition that if you can walk over, switch the badges, and it's a, still the same car. Badges and bolt-on panels. Yeah. Because you talk about fiber and the Camaro, the roof... And interior and everything are exactly the same. Yeah. But the fenders and headlights and hoods are completely different. You're not going to mistake one for the other. Um, so I guess that's... But is that bad engineering or platform sharing? Because the quarter panel is different, too. That's platform, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to go with platform on that. Well, God damn it. We always do this. We come up with an awesome topic to talk about, and then we screw everything up. Well, no, I don't know what's going All on. right. So that's... I had... I mean... So that's something, if listeners want to get back to us, what do you think badge engineering is versus, versus yeah. platform engineering? Well, the other term, too, captive import. Captive import, okay. Which is like the Dodge Colt, 
was a captive import. It was an imported car sold as an American car. Because that car was not sold here elsewhere. So that's different. It was only sold here as a Dodge Colt, but eventually it wasn't. <laughs> eventually you could get a, a Mitsubishi Mirage in this country and a Dodge Colt. Well, so Colt then that's what your badge-engineered Chryslers were early on. They were captive, captive imports. imports. And they said it right in the car. They said yeah. imported for Chrysler by Mitsubishi or imported by Mitsubishi for Chrysler yeah. or whatever right in the car. So what is the worst and best example you can think of of a badge-engineered car? What's your favorite badge-engineered car of all time? Favorite what do you mean, like, favorite? Like, what's your favorite? What's the best best badge engineering job for you? What, what's your favorite car? That's an easy one. Well. There's one sitting in your garage. Uh, I was going to say that, but I I kind of like uh, the Starians and Conquest. All right, so we'll just Because they basically changed nothing. No, there's really like nothing script. changed. Again, it's just emblems. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Uh, okay, so we'll just go with Mitsubishis in general. So Dodgers and Mitsubishis have had the best captive import slash bad engineering history that I can think of as a, as we're a little biased, but I think we're right. Yeah. So they have the most success. If, if you have a better, uh, idea, everybody's going to have a better idea because we're well, the only two people in the world that love Mitsubishi's like this no, I wanna, proven what, every week. Tell us, we'll, we'll listen. We'll listen. We absolutely will. Yep. Uh, now the worst one, however, is easy. The worst bad engineered car of all time. It was yep. a marketing failure. It was a terrible car. Parts were expensive for no reason. It was the Cadillac Cimarron. <laughs> or not the Katera? Even before the Katera. The Katera is pretty bad. But the Katera wasn't at its core a bad car. The Katera was a decent car that was let down by poor parts and poor management. Oh. So if you bought a Katera, and I worked at a GM dealer when a Katera was fairly new. So we had a, a, a stash of Kateras out back. Yeah, for parts. That were half parts cars and half customers cars waiting for parts. Because uh-huh. you had to get them out of Germany, and there was always a long wait for parts. Okay. Um, but before that was the Cimarron, which was like 82, 83. Do you remember that car? Yeah, I kind of remember what that looks like, yeah. It's a Cavalier with Cadillac badge and leather interior. Oof. That was a terrible car all around, because those first-gen Cavaliers were terrible cars, and this was a terrible version of a terrible car. I have a contender. For the worst? The Maserati K-Car crossover thing. Oh, wow. That's really bad. Were, were the, was those K-Cars? Those little Sabres? Yeah, they were. No, not those little Sabres. Technically K-Cars? Sabres of Buick. Okay. Oh, talking, sorry. It was a Maserati, Maserati TC and a Chrysler LeBaron. Yeah. So it was a... It was a, it was a Is that a K-Car based? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. it's late model K-Car. Late K-Car. But, yeah, it's definitely K-Car. K-Cars. Badge engineered. Those are all badge engineered, yeah. Straight, the, straight down to the minivan, essentially, which is become platform engineering but yeah or platform sharing but those were badge engineered and platform shared a little bit of both they th- that was that was a platform shared car and then each platform had badge engineering on top of it yeah. so you had the chrysler and dodge and plymouth versions of everything much like gm did but they didn't change anything other than emblems of course you could argue this is frugal engineering it's fleecing or tricking the public too no i <laughs> You know what you're it's, getting. It's, it's, it's good or bad marketing is basically what it is. Yeah. If you if you can market the car properly, bad engineering has its place. Like I said, in the 70s, gas crisis, bad engineering saved car companies. It did. Later on, it killed car companies. Like I said, my example of the Mercury and Ford example. Well, yeah, because now uh, yeah, Mercury's gone. Yep. Uh, let's see. Pontiac is gone. Yep. Buick, no, Buick, Buick was saved exists. by China. No, yeah, I'm thinking of Oldsmobile's gone. Oldsmobile's gone. And the other one 
which is weird that it's gone, was Saturn. And they had less badges in your cars, and they had more original cars. They were all their own cars. Almost. What was badge engineered for Saturn? The Sky was a Pontiac. That was um, platform shared. No, that was definitely badge Oh, that was Opal. That yeah, was Opal. It was all Opal. Okay. Um, okay. And the, the View, the little SUV thing. Oh, yeah. What was that? Um, it had a lot of shared parts, so I guess it's part platform shared. Yeah, it's more of a GM parts bin car. Uh, not all GM. It had a Honda transmission. Weird. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, they had the same problematic Honda transmission that, like, the 03, 04, 05 Odyssey vans have, which is a strange... I don't even know how that happened, because it's not a Honda anywhere. No. But that may have been based on the same architecture of, like, a Pontiac Aztec. Okay. But again, I don't know, which is also a Buick Rendezvous. I could be wrong on that one, too. I just no, it is. Uh, uh, that weird Rendezvous, which is actually even worse looking than the Aztec. Oh, that's subjective. But uh, the Aztec's at the point where it's so ugly that it's kind of endearing, whereas the Buick was just kind of like there. Yeah. So it didn't really do anything for anybody. No. I know somebody that bought one of those and they regretted it immediately. Well, because it was just, uh, it was an ugly wrapper for for poor GM engineering that was left over from the, uh, like, you know, mid nineties. Yeah. Just bad, bad times. Bad times. Nineties GM was a bad time. Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a bad time. Talk, talking bad, bad engineering. Um, you know, the Pontiac Grand Prix, Chevy, Monte Carlo, they were all just kind of terrible cars. Yeah. Sunfire. And well, you Sunfire get a Cavalier. Cavalier. Yeah. Those are terrible cars. I mean, as, as economy cars go, they're pretty poor. I mean, they're not... Nobody looks back fondly. I mean, some people do, but most people don't look back fondly on an old Cavalier. You know? I saw it's, a perfect one the other morning. In fact, I have a picture on my phone. I'll show you uh, afterwards. Is I don't it, know what's more embarrassing, keeping a perfect Cavalier listen, or getting caught taking a picture of no, a perfect Cavalier. It was like... It's like a 98, and I saw it two days ago. It had no rust on it. It was like perfect mint, bright yellow. Oh, like, a yellow one on top of it? I was like, somebody cares for this car. People did too, because yeah. I there was a uh, I worked at the insurance company, and I had a customer who was a regular, yeah. which is not good as an insurance company. No, um, but he had like a '99 or a '98 um, Sunfire four door, and he had like aftermarket wheels on it, and he had all this stuff he had done to it, and he crashed all the time. But he would always fight with us about OEM parts. <laughs> and I was like, listen. The OEM parts and the aftermarket parts of this car are of the same level of quality, so yes. just take it. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that's that's a, a basic overlay of badge engineering versus platform sharing. Um, there's more to be talked about with this. I just I don't want to bore everybody today. It's, so, it's kind of fun trying to run down all the different cars that are the yeah, same. Yeah, it is. It's it like is. a fun game. But. And there's, there's obviously tons and tons and tons we have not touched on. No. I mean, there's so many cars we haven't even talked about. Yeah. Those are just the ones we really, I don't know if we care about them or we know about them. I think we just know what they are. Yeah. Well, another one to touch on real quick is we talked about it briefly with Chevy's small economy cars is the Chevette. Because it's also the Pontiac T-1000. Well, like, the same car. Yeah. Like the yeah. Terminator T-1000? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There was that, that was the... Uh, Pontiac's version of a bad engineered Chevette. You know what I get all the time is that people mistake the 89 Montero with a Trooper. Or a SLX. Yes. Which is the Acura badge engineered version of the Trooper. But they're totally different. No, they're not. No, no. 
a Montero and a Trooper is totally different. Well, they have the same basic shape. So that's it. See. But yeah. they're not. There's no, there's no platform cards, yeah. at all that's shared or yeah, a badge. To- totally yeah. different cars. Yeah. Uh, there was another accurate one, too, was there not? It was the SLX, which oh, was the Trooper. What did Subaru have? It was they had a, they have a big SUV that's available in like that's Japan. That's an Isuzu too, the big horn. The big horn, yep. yeah. That's also an Isuzu. Can't forget that. Because yeah. I don't think Subaru didn't have any badge engineered cars. Otherwise, that were here. True, they have the Saab. Oh, nine, the Saab nine two X. Yeah, the weird Saab, Saab GM Subaru. crossover well, Subaru. Was, no, before you even get to that one, there was the Saab. Was the nine two? Yeah. X. Yeah. Nine two X Arrow was a WRX or an Impreza wagon. Yep. And then there was also wasn't there another one too, like an SUV? Oh no, I'm just thinking of the of the Saab. Yes. The but it was not a Subaru. No, it was a um it's a Chevy GM the Trailblazer. There was a Saab that was not a Subaru. That was a No there was, there was no Subaru version of that giant truck. No. Just a Saab version. Yeah. It was like the nine seven. Yep. So and what was the Tribeca platform shared? No. I think that was its own thing. I don't think about that guy. That was that was a terrible waste of time too. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, see, this is like an onion. You just keep going with these. Yeah, every car manufacturer has it. I mean, even even Jaguar in Stark days had the Ford Mondeo, which was the Jaguar X type. Which that, is a that car, car. kind of brought it back though, but it was a good car at the time. I don't know if it was a good car at the time or if it was the car that was needed at the time. It it, it put him back on the map. I think it was marketing more than anything else. Because they had a slightly affordable Jaguar, mm-hmm. but the funny thing about that car, and it's the that same is the thing, same as the Lincoln LS, is LS platform. It's that's going back to platform sharing. Okay, yes, it's an LS Lincoln LS platform. Yep. Um, funny part about that car, and I, this happened when I worked at a dealership, was we had a Jaguar X Type in for a used car check. Yep, and it needed sway bar bushings or sway bar links, sway bar links. So we bought the sway bar links from Jaguar, and they were $74 each. Right. And we got them, and they were in a bag with a Jaguar sticker on it. But you could see the Jaguar sticker was just stuck over a Ford sticker. So we called the Ford dealer with the Ford part number, and they were like $15. Yeah. So we returned the Jaguar ones and yep. <laughs> bought the Ford ones because they were the same damn part, just marked up like 400%. <laughs> Those also have a terrible, terrible hydraulically powered cooling fan. Uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee said that same setup. Yes. You know what else those cars have? Nobody should ever do that ever. Don't ever. It's, no, it's a bad the idea. The f- cooling fan is powered by automatic transmission fluid. Yeah. And Mini Coopers also did it, non-turbo minis. Oh, did they? I didn't know that. And when it fails, it is horribly expensive to fix. It breaks everything. Yeah. It is <laughs> terrible. Car overheats, transmission gets junk. Oh, it's bad. It's fluid everywhere. Yeah. The other bad thing that LS Platform has is non-serviceable either upper or lower ball joints. So it's a wear item that's not serviceable. You have to replace the entire knuckle. And they're like $480 a side. <laughs> so, again. That's why those cars are in the junkyard now. A lot of them are. That's why the Lincoln LS became kind of like the, you know, second-tier drug dealer car around here because yeah. they were all so cheap in the junkyard yeah. bound. You bought them at a buy-here-pay-here lot pretty much. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a horrible design, too. A wearable item that can't be replaced. Oh, you know what's another good? Right. Oh. We're getting a little long here, but you know it's another good seat. I say this is a badge engineered one. Is the Infinity i30 Maxima? That's totally badge engineering. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. You're just paying for a gussy up Maxima. My favorite badge engineered Infinity though would G20 be G20 Premier. Well, okay. My second favorite one though 
yeah. would be the uh, kind of the redheaded stepchild of the Infinity family. What the the, the M thirty X? No, the J thirty. J thirty. The J thirty and Nissan Leopard. Yes, it was Nissan Leopard in other parts of the world, and it was a J thirty here, and it was kind of like a four door three hundred ZX because it had the VG and that nineties jelly bean shape and a weird shape, and it was rear wheel drive. And it was kind of a cool little car. And yeah. a friend of mine in high school, or right after high school, bought one. And it was a like a deep, like, chocolate brown metallic with a tan leather interior. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was a wicked cool car. Infinity made some cool cars in the early yeah, they 90s because they were, like, their own unique thing. But they were all badge engineered from other Nissans yeah. elsewhere in the world. Yeah. So every one of them. The Q45 was, was that a president? Yes. And the G20 was the Primera. Yep. A Primera. Mm-hmm. The J30 was the Leopard. The M30 was the M30 Roadster. Is that a Leopard as well? Or did kind of a... That was, that, that was like a 300ZX Skyline sort of based. No, it was a 240 SX based, wasn't it? No. It, what, the four-cylinder nope. little convertible one? The VQ. Was a VQ in that, really? Yep. Hmm. That's interesting. But I know that it was, ba- it was based off of another Japanese car. Maybe not the Leopard. Maybe something else. But mm-hmm. the, they had an entire... Behan did kind of the same thing when they brought Acura over. It was all badge-engineered other market Hondas yeah. sold as upscale Hondas. Well, the upmarket Hondas that they had were sold as Acuras. They had to rebadge for the American market. You had to rebadge them as a luxury brand because we would never pay premium right. prices for a Honda badge. Right, which is the same thing that all the Japanese exactly. manufacturers have done. Oh, except, well, not all of them, but the, the major ones. Yes. You no, know, because even the, the Toyotas, the Lexus... You know, their flagship GS. The big, the big three Japanese Nissan, Honda, Toyota. The the Japanese version of the Lexus GS was the Aristo. Yep. And the IS300 was the Alteza. Ooh, a Camry is an ES300. ES300 was a Camry. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was pretty bad. See, this one. goes on and on and on. So I think, because we're getting a little long here, we'll I think we'll call this one. Sure thing. And uh, if you've got any answers for our questions, you can email us at autooftopic at gmail.com. You can post on our Facebook page, Auto Off Topic Podcast on Facebook. Yeah, let us know your favorite badge uh, engineered car for sure. Yep, and you can uh, also follow us on Instagram at Auto Off Topic. You can follow me, Race and Anger, on, on uh, Instagram. Uh, and as, and Facebook. And Facebook. And as always, this podcast was brought to you by Vintage Imports of New England. Uh, Vintage Imports of NE on Instagram, Vintage Imports of New England on Facebook, and Vintage Imports of NE.com. Excellent. So uh, where can they follow you on social media if they want to? My personal Instagram <laughs> account is just uh, TSISS350. And uh, anything else, just my name is you yep. know, Brad on everything. So find me, friend me. Hang out with me. I won't bite. Cool. Either way. As always, keep your cars analog. Also, please review, rate, and share the podcast. That's on right. iTunes. Don't forget to do that. We've gone so long, Andrew forgot to tell you to do that. I did. But don't do that. Yes. So do that, and then keep your cars analog. Music.